From Noble Robot on East Hennepin Avenue in secret Minneapolis, this is Nice Games Club, the show where nice game devs talk gaming and game development. I'm Alan Burns-Johnson, and I make nice games. I'm Steve Parker, and I make nice games. And I'm Martha Croy, I too make nice games. For this week's episode, our topics are player count and hidden information. But we're not going to hide it from you. We're going to talk about it. So if everyone's ready, let's start. I did the same joke twice. I like previewed <laughs> that joke. Yeah, we would we would have laughed at it if we hadn't heard it before. <laughs> <laughs> That's generous. <laughs> yeah. You didn't really laugh at it the first time. I know. <laughs> <laughs> you weren't supposed to tell the listeners that. <laughs> it's, it's, good, it's good to be honest. So, uh, Stephen, you have warned me that your topic is big today. Potentially, yes. So we should probably get to it as quick as possible. But we have a couple things to talk about first. Yes. Um, first thing I want to talk about. Um, I started playing with this uh, utility. This. Uh, uh, um, this asset in of Unity um, called the Forever Engine, which is a, a, a way to quickly make endless runner games. Okay, uh, making an endless runner is not that complicated in terms of what you need to do, but um, there's a couple of best practices that like you find your way to if you do something like that. And yeah. this engine sort of has it all built in for you. It's really oh, really good. Nice. It works for both 2D and 3D. It, it can it can do really can extrude um, 3D uh, uh, terrain, so you can have much more randomization than just creating different segments. Very cool. Really interesting. And you know, we were talking about in the last episode about learning uh, things. This is a thing I got into recently, um, partly because I had this idea for a, a mode in Widget Satchel, which I told the two of you about a, yeah. a, a couple days ago. Um, but um, but it has some utility in the uh, the main project I'm working on right now, and so it's been kind of fun to toy with. And it's been a little while. Since I've gotten a Unity asset or like a third-party library that I really um, uh, expected to use, mm. <laughs> mm. Um, and this one's pretty nice, so I, I thought I'd recommend it. it uh, Unity had this big, um, you know, buy a million assets for twenty dollars kind of sale, uh, and that's how yeah. I got it. Is I right. was just thinking like, well, these all look good, and worst case scenario, I'll have given ten cents to a lot of developers because <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's always like ninety percent off these things. Mm-hmm. Um, but this was one that looked really cool, so. Um, cool. Having a fun time with it. That's awesome. Yeah, and just like how it structures, um, it's basically uh, like object pooling is all yeah. it really is. Um, but it's interesting thinking about like how all the trouble we had in Widget Satchel about like reusing components, and 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 that was all the levels were designed. But we still had to have a system for like managing all of that. Yeah. Um, uh, to eliminate overhead and just thinking about how I wanted to do sort of endless style levels in that game originally, mm-hmm. but it was way beyond scope at the time. Yeah. And so that's one of the reasons why I sort of was like, oh, this would make it a little bit easier if I wanted to get back to this sometimes. So. <laughs> so how far are you on the endless widget satchel now? I will say I, I kind of put together a little prototype of it. Oh, really? The, the components oh, from the from widget satchel. Yeah. So it, it's doable. It's just a matter of if I have any time to do it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> the answer to that is no. <laughs> <laughs> Has that stopped you before? Uh, no. The, the problem is, is that I come up with like a fun name for it and like I imagine what it's going to look like and how it's going to work and then I can't let go of it. Yeah. It's like a dog with a bone. So like it would be, you know, like a, it'd be a new update to Widget Satchel. It would be the endless mischief mode. Like yes, how could you not so want that to exist? I do want it to exist. I know, right? Mark, I, I haven't even detailed it here on the show, but trust me, it, it will be fun. It is. Yeah. Anyway, I don't have time for it, but it was a fun little diversion. I got to learn a new thing. There's always hiatus. <laughs> There's always hiatus. <laughs> Oh, it's so dangerous. I like stuff on the hiatus. I actually, I did give myself an item on the list yeah. that said stop adding items to the list. So <laughs> that and yet. Cons- I haven't added it to the official list. Right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, my, my life meta update is I think I've permanently lost my husband to Magic the Gathering. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, Eric, we hardly knew you. <laughs> <laughs> he came home last night. He was uh, hanging out with uh, friends all weekend because I guess there was a release of a new deck or something. And a lot of the decks these days have been like D and D themed, which I really adore. Mm-hmm. Um, he came back and he's comes back with a stack of cards and a stack <laughs> oh, of dang. leaves and this book, and he's like, "I got to do this. You want to help?" <laughs> and I was excited to help. That was pretty cool. Yeah. And so we watched TV and we watched Star Wars. At least I got to choose what we watched. Um, we watched Star Wars Rebel. Or not, we watched the like the seventh season of Clone Wars, and then oh, we sure. like resleeved a bunch of things. And and he kept stopping the show, like pausing the show. I have to show you this card. Look at this card. And this is going <laughs> to synergize with this thing. So we'll get him back in a few months. Yeah, are you sure you won't just get lost in there with him? Um, not. I, I'm not going to pick up Magic: The Gathering until I've beaten Metroid Dread. <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay, and then also Hades. All right. <laughs> I commit to this. We've put it down on tape. So. I solemnly swear I will not. Ellen has her hand up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There, I don't think there's enough. I don't. I, I do find Magic the Gathering pretty fun to play, but I don't think it's enough to suck me in. Yeah. So um, probably not. Okay. But, <laughs> well, but we'll check back Let in. us know when he gets back and we'll have a welcome home party. Okay. <laughs> you made it. <laughs> Uh, Steven, you had a thing? I do. Movie theaters don't want you to know about this, y'all. Yeah. This is one weird trick? It's one weird trick. One weird trick. (laughs) It's not weird. It's just, okay, so you know how movie theater popcorn tastes differently from the popcorn you cook at home? Nope. Yeah. What? (laughs) What do you mean? No. What do you mean? You already know this trick? It's just popcorn. (laughs) I'm going to let that slide, Mark. (laughs) Mark is wrong. Please continue. I mean, I've cooked, I've, I worked at a movie theater. Yeah, that's true. You also, then you might know this trick already. Uh, oh, so so Mark's popcorn at home tastes like movie theater. Is the popcorn. trick just salt? No, it's not just salt. It's a specific type of salt. Oh, it's flavor call. It's not actually salt. I think. I think it's just some kind of. It's weird. like dust. Yeah, basically. It's yeah, just dust. yeah. Um, it's like a yellow powder thing almost. Um, I I bought I I found about this thing on the internet or whatever, and I bought it and I put it on my popcorn and it tastes almost just like movie theater popcorn. So I'm never going to a theater again <laughs> because that was half the reason I went to a theater. Yeah, that is so true. Popcorn. Yeah, <laughs> you'd always get a big bunch of it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I you know, it's funny because uh, um, movie theaters do very frequently in their in their uh, promotional materials mm-hmm. they talk about how how great their popcorn is. Yeah, and I always just thought that was just a thing they said because like. That's a thing they say. Like, I never thought it was actually a claim they were really making. It's a claim. But I guess it is. Yeah, it's real. <laughs> and it's it's just that salt dust. Yeah. I, honestly, I think it's that. And they probably use a particular kind of oil. I think I need to get a different oil to uh-huh. to act, act right. accurately and match. And then you need pocket. to put it in a container for like three days. <laughs> warmed up. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, perfect. That'll <laughs> make it a little stale. Yeah. A little stale. Not just the popcorn, the oil. The yeah. oil. <laughs> and yeah. then it's butter, but maybe just it's the heating element, just passively keeping mm-hmm. it. A little bit yeah. above room temperature. Perfect, perfect. That's the trick. That's the trick. <laughs> well, okay, you're gonna have to. You have to put this in the show notes then, so that uh, uh, yeah, flavor call. It's just flavor call. Yeah, that's the name of it. You you say you say that like it's a real word. It it's not, but <laughs> yeah. Well, and also it's surprising. Like the the package mm-hmm. looks ancient. <laughs> it probably is. Ancient. It looks like it's from the eighties. It's, like, it's not like a consumer product. It's, yeah, you know, it's designed I think to. So. Like so I bought it off of Amazon, but like yeah, yeah you can. It's meant for commercial. I think right. Yeah, so it and need it, to gives have you, a great it gives you a big. It's, it's basically like if it, it's almost as big. It's a little smaller than a milk carton, mm-hmm. almost. But like you only use like a t- a table a teaspoon of it every mm-hmm. time you pour the popcorn. So like you. 
can buy that and you'll have it for years. Huh. So I yeah, that's great. My head canon right now is that all of the what was this called again? Flavor call? call. Yeah. All of the flavor call that has ever been made and ever will be made was made in the eighties. So like, <laughs> there's a stash. That's, yes. that's hilarious. You have to like go into the warehouse and use your security code. <laughs> Or just call Amazon, I guess. Um, <laughs> well, it's their warehouse. Yeah. <laughs> all warehouses. Right, Amazon, Amazon was just expanding and then just like the warehouse just had all this stuff in it. And yeah. they're like, well, okay, I guess we're selling it now. <laughs> <laughs> yes, score. We got a whole stockpile of Flavicol <laughs> oh, in this one. Oh, so good. Uh, okay. Uh, should we get into it? Yeah, well, okay. <laughs> oh, wait. I have a transition. Oh. Uh-huh. Well, we had three, three meta topics. Yes. It took us like five minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Which one of those numbers, three or five, is better? Ooh. Ooh. Mark, you care to answer that? <laughs> well, if I know anything about which number is bigger than the other number. <laughs> I said better, not bigger. Oh, I see. That, that I really couldn't judge. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, that didn't really work because like, I hoped it would. <laughs> What's your topic, Mark? Uh, my topic is player count. Uh, I, you, were, you were trying to get us to four somehow is what you were trying uh, to do. Well, you have threes and fives in this list as well. It starts out with four. There's a lot of four in this list. Yes. I'm curious to know why four is such an important number here. That's the question. That is something that this topic is inspired by an article that, uh, um, that I read recently. You, uh, listener, may have read it as well uh, from Polygon, where um, one of their reporters interviewed a bunch of developers and asked them about, like, why is four the number? Why is four the number for multiplayer games? And what was interesting to me is I was thinking like, oh, there's lots of reasons. And I'll get into those. That's why I chose this topic. Mm-hmm. But the, the article kind of started with this question of like, why not more than four? Why only four? Yeah. And I was like, oh, this person's probably 15 years younger than I am <laughs> and doesn't know like where four came from. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, probably isn't totally unaware, but thinking of it in terms of online, the online space. Right. Because it's been it's um, in recent years. Four-player online games have become a lot more popular. I would say ten years ago, hmm. you didn't have a lot of those. There yeah. was there were like sixteen and thirty-two, you know, character map. Like that was what yeah. online multiplayer was. Lots and lots of people. Mm-hmm. But four-player co-op games, four-player team games, four-player competitive games, four v four, you know, or two v two. Those kinds of games yeah. are online are pretty popular online now. And um, but uh, there's a, a bunch of examples of online games that have that have four and the. That game Back for Blood just came out, which right. is a spiritual successor to Left for Dead, and both of them have the number four in their title, yep. and they are four-player co-op zombie shooters. Yep. And so this article was really interesting that it asked a bunch of people about this, and the answers that they got, we'll put the link in the show notes, so I won't recount all of it, but it's a really good read. Um, but a lot of it is four is a good number for a team. You can give mm-hmm. people different abilities, you can class them out, mm-hmm. um, but you do, it's not so many that you have to come up with un- really unique things for five or seven different yeah, types. Okay. Um, it's just, it's kind of a magic number. Mm-hmm. Um, larger numbers can work better for like autonomous actors. So, uh, people that are all working together, but don't have to communicate with each other. Oh, okay. That, that works pretty well. Sure. Um, um, but when you, when they all need to be part of a team that do, does things together, yeah. four is kind of like a max in a sense. That, that, that's, that was the opinion of some of these developers. Okay. I could see that. But one of the other things that came up a lot in the answers to this, um, which is what I was thinking about originally when this, reading the start of this article, was yeah. that four is an established number. Right. Right. It's mm. familiar to people. A lot of these uh, online games are also playable local. Mm-hmm. And, and who has more than four controllers at home? Right. Right. <laughs> And and that was really one of the one of the answers. Like, not we didn't we didn't want to do more because we didn't think people would ever play with more mm-hmm. because it just they just would have no opportunity to. Yeah. Um. And what was interesting is that that they didn't get to the bottom of it. They just was like, it's four is the number. It's the number we're familiar with, and that's the number. And yeah. so we chose it. Yeah. But then also they go on to to kind of 
get at a couple of other reasons. But a lot of times they talk about that weight of history. So I did want to talk. That's why I'm, I came to this topic. So actually talk a little bit about how we got there. Yeah. And how some of those, re- some of those reasonings, I think, when they say like, oh, Mario Kart had four and, and you know, and uh, GoldenEye had four. And that's yeah. why we, that's why four persists. But it's kind of not necessarily, it's a little bit of, it's a shortcut to what the answer we'd all arrive to anyway. Yeah. So it's not, um, that's my, that's my theory is that, is that four came to it from lots of technological reasons. But the reason there are four ports on a Super Nintendo or on a Nintendo 64 rather, yeah. and the reason those multi-taps had four, you know, and arcades sort of mostly maxed out at four. There were a yeah. couple of higher ones. Yeah. Is because four is a good number. Yeah. Not okay. purely for the, the technical reason. That now makes we, sense. we may have the momentum of history behind us. To continue picking the number four, mm-hmm. but I think we would, if we said, ah, you know, we don't need to be, uh, you know, chained to the past. We'll do our own independent study and find out what the right number is. Very, I think you'd come up with four. Yeah, that's my theory. That's okay. my that's my uh, hypothesis anyway. Um, but yeah, so starting out in arcades, the idea of like multiplayer games. Yeah, two and four, or the, those are the numbers, yeah. right? Um, a four player arcade cabinet was not altogether that common, but anything more than that was exceedingly rare. Yeah. I think the only one I ever played was X Men. Sure. It had six characters. Oh, yeah. Well, and from a logistics standpoint, like six people standing around an arcade cabinet yeah. is hard. Those hard. X-Men cabinets were three television screens yep. Yeah, uh, that were stitched together. That's right. I know what you're talking about. Yep. Yeah. Well, also, you can have three couples on a date. Yep. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. But even the four-player ones, a lot of them are actually tied to IP with four characters. So Ninja Turtles, Simpsons, those are famous four-player arcade games. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they, there's four characters in those IP, and that's oh, principally yeah. the reason yeah, yeah. why those are four-player games. Um, and so uh, two was just much more common, mm. um, uh, partly because, yeah, two people could fit around a cabinet much easier. Because yeah. the, there was a, a restriction on the literal size of a screen. Right. Yeah. So that's why if you, ever, if you see a four-player uh, arcade cabinet, it fans around a smaller screen usually, or in mm-hmm. the case of X-Men, a couple of these stitched together and f- themselves fanned out a little mm-hmm. bit. Mm-hmm. Um, in order to sort of, it's very interesting stuff. Anyway, mm. but so there's uh, some things to to get from that. But when consoles started, um, there are no, as far as I understand, other than like the very earliest like Pong consoles, every console could have two players. That was like a yeah. fundamental idea, uh, like because multiplayer games were so common uh, in the era of arcades that I don't think it was it was conceivable. Like the Atari Twenty Six Hundred had two controller ports yeah um you know 8-bit computers like the commodore 64 those ones the, like those would be the only examples you'd see with one joystick port usually mm-hmm. um computer games were one player very frequently but arcade games a lot of them were two players so that's kind of the started out with, with two but pretty quickly uh you'd have the what's called the multi-tap which is like a fun phrase it's like you're tapping into like a like a, the you know like a tree or a, you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah the multi-tap was a way to split off the signal and you get more. Oh, that's the, so I'm familiar with multi-tap from PlayStation because they had multi-tap things. Because the first PlayStation only had uh, two uh, controller inputs. And the PlayStation 2, the same. Yes. Only had two. So they had multi-taps where you could, you know, you'd plug that in and then you can have four players. Right. Well, that's where it comes from. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> yeah. So um, it split off the signals. And actually, the, the technical... Uh, uh, the, the way this worked technically is yeah. really interesting. If, okay. you, if you ever want to look it up, it's beyond the scope of this thing. Mm. Um, but it, ha- it was pretty early. The original Nintendo had this as well. There were not a lot of games that supported it, but the but four was a number that like people wanted to get to. The one exception, I find this so fascinating, is the TurboGrafx-16 had a five-player multi-port, uh, multi-tap. Mm, yeah. And um, 
the the game I know that supports it is is, is Bomberman. Yeah, and I, I know that because the the Wii Virtual Console, one of the very first Wii Virtual Console games when the Wii came out, was the Turbo Graphics version of Bomberman, and you could in fact play with five players on the Wii. The Wii only could, overly supported four Wii Motes at a time, but it also had four GameCube controller ports. Oh, that's mm. right. So you can play four Wii Motes and a GameCube controller, <laughs> and you could play five player Bomberman on the Wii. I always found that so fascinating. That's really great. I would just supported it. Yeah. Um, huh. So a couple and a throuple. Yeah, basically. Yes. Got it. Okay. <laughs> or two couples and one lonely fifth. <laughs> <laughs> so, but that was, that's a, unusual. Four was pretty common. Now, is that just because it's twice as many as two? <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But like a lot of this is interacts with, so the, it, the technology and game design conversations really are intertwined. Right. Yes. And I think that there's, but I do think they reinforce each other rather than one being dependent on the other. Sure. Again, that's yeah. my hypothesis. No, I think here. that makes sense. Yeah. Because, like, I mean, you, you certainly would have whoever, like, is developing games in the in the conversation when you're developing a hardware. Yeah. Right? So, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. And there's a kind of a, if it's a four, if it's a multiplayer game where it's like a, a la- last person standing kind of thing. Yeah. Then five, there's not a lot of narrative drama to five. The first oh, person drops off, there's still some more people left. Yes. The next person drops off, oh, now it's getting interesting. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I think four is pretty good for that. So there's like many different reasons why four is kind of a right number for a lot of these things. Mm-hmm. And some of them are technical. Like it's hard to, if you're going to do split screen multiplayer, five is not practical. Yeah, where's the fifth player? Right. In fact, three has been a challenge when you do three player games. It's true. Some, ga- some games will ha- give uh, two players a corner of the screen and one player half the screen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Some will leave the fourth quarter of the screen empty. Yeah. Like there's different solutions to those odd numbered things. So there is definitely technical reasons why this is true. But I think a lot of it is just that it does feel better in a sort of a design and narrative sense as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so the Nintendo 64 is what popularized four player gaming. Which is interesting because I don't think there were any four-player... Lo- oh, no, Wave Race was a four-player... I think it was four players. Yeah. Uh, a launch title for Nintendo 64. Um, oh, yeah. Okay. But Mario Kart, I think, is the... Uh, Mario Kart 64 is, yeah, like, what, uh, is what people remember most. And GoldenEye, yeah, of course. Golden those, those are the two games that I and many other friend groups my age uh, played. Yeah. Um, that sort of standardized that. Um, and then, yeah, there were multi-taps for PlayStation and PlayStation 2. Mm-hmm. But I think Halo multiplayer... Um, on the Xbox, mm-hmm. the original Xbox, did as much to cement the idea of a four-player split screen. Yeah. For sure. Certainly for people who, uh, um, you know, the, the, who are experiencing their first wave of nostalgia now. <laughs> um, <laughs> Xbox just celebrated its 20th anniversary. A lot of their branding is, is talking about that. Oh, um, God. But yeah, uh, but uh, Halo had, um, I think, two-player co-op, mm. split screen co-op, and four-player multiplayer. And that was before X- uh, Halo was an online thing sure, yeah. um they 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 had that as well so that is something that 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 i think a lot of people remember from their college dorms and stuff like that mm-hmm. um but yeah that number is just really important and what's interesting about it is that it is it's very much tied to this local experience um but that but online games constantly trying to push past that yeah because you didn't need to worry about split screens and so it was just all about the technology, like how many people can we get concurrently on a server? More and more and more and more and more. Yeah. And I remember there was a game called Mag. Yep. yep. Remember that? My brother was just talking about that the other day. <laughs> and it stands for massively, massively. massively it's like massive arcade game or yeah, something weird. Yeah. Massive action game. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Just the most dumb. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But how many players was that? Like uh, 128 or something? Yeah. It, this is always a yeah, binary number. Yeah, twenty-eight or something. Yeah. It was always a it was a very, very high number, and that was its principal thing. It was boring to play. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because they didn't leverage that. Mechanic no, they didn't. Yeah. They just made it like Call of Duty, but 
too many people. Yeah, the idea was that you would have people who would be more of a general role. You'd have much more differentiation. You'd have strike teams that go ahead. You'd have recon teams. Yeah. Much more. But people didn't want to play that way. Mm-hmm. Voice chat wasn't as a mature technology. Not everyone wanted to use it. Yeah. And Mag was a PS3 game. So yeah. it wasn't it wasn't a PC game where people are usually a little bit ahead of the, the curve on that stuff. Right. Um, so it didn't do that well. But I remember being myself being kind of excited for it, even though I didn't love online shooters yeah i liked a lot of that concept but it just fell on its face right but the idea was to get more and more and more and more and more mm. and i think that um only recently in these past couple of years i was like we have enough now yeah we can have as many players as we want that's not a back of the box feature anymore mm-hmm. so what is the right number and we're back to four yeah, we're mm. back to four and i think that that kind of that's the best evidence i have for my hypothesis is that when given a choice <laughs> Well, you I know, think, independent of any other uh, other considerations, so, okay. we do tend to go back to that. So here's right. my question then. Why four? I mean, I'm going to answer the question <laughs> okay. too. Uh, I think that like, I think so like if you think of it in terms of like, like from a logistical standpoint, when you start having too many people in the thing, like you were saying earlier in the thing or early in this topic, uh, Mark, mm-hmm. like you, you there's if there's too many people in the team, it's hard to coordinate those many people. Yep. You know, they end up splitting like too thin. This yeah, too thin. yeah, especially in the kind of time frames where you need to make decisions in games. Yes, mm-hmm. exactly. Right. You need to make it quick. You need, yeah, you're not going to have if you start having 10 people on your team, it's just going to it's going to devolve into chaos. Right. Um. So like four is a nice number for that. But why not like five or six or three? Um. I think it's just also a nice number for the amount of people that you'd want to play a game with in general because like you want to try to get as many people. I, I just think about like times when like I want to play a game online with a bunch of people. I oftentimes it's difficult to get more than four people in the thing that like requires commitment. Yeah. Um. So like, I think, you know, once you start hitting a little higher numbers, like six, it's hard to like, imagine trying to get six players to play a game regularly. I feel yeah. like that's <laughs> a tough ask a lot of the time. I know that like overwatch, I think is a six player team game. Yeah. Right. But like, well, that's a lot of, hard. A lot, a lot of the, oh team making is is one friend groups will schedule this sort of thing yeah. so it's, mm-hmm. it's how D D happens right? yeah, yeah yeah that's how you get more than four people mm-hmm. playing D. yeah but very frequently and ellen you probably have more experience than either of us on this is four players is a pretty good party size mm-hmm. and so you have a five player because because the dm master. Yeah. yeah um and so like um games that are asymmetrical like uh that game evolve yeah that was four v one yes not three v one Right. Right. Because it's like it's the four is the sort of unit of of, four is the unit of team. Yeah, exactly. Yes. And because what can happen with four is that you can four people can split off and do two things Mm -hmm. and it could be one person could do something and three people can do something or two and two. Yeah. Five people can do the same. Yeah. But more likely five people will do two things and there'll be one person left over. Yes. Right. And so and I mean, it's it's the third wheel, fifth wheel. It's that kind of idea. Is that you can, if you have a, a any sort of task that be done by one person, then the other thing to do can be done by everybody else. Um, uh-huh. And then if they're, but if you have a team of seven and you have four tasks ahead of you, that's still, yeah. that divides pretty well. Yeah. Except that's just too much for a team to manage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, right? this is interesting too. Because then like, you need, you start needing yeah. middle management. Right. <laughs> this is interesting too, because even out of, outside of cooperative and thinking about competitive games, like I'm thinking about Smash, where Smash, the new Smash Ultimate has eight player on all of the maps yeah. i know that like sakurai had tried to get eight player in like brawl back on the wii mm-hmm. but like it just didn't work out um like the wii wasn't technically advanced enough i guess or something well could can you do that with you plug in four gamecube controllers and four not, not on the not on brawl okay you could do that in um smash four only on certain levels because yeah. certain levels don't i think they're what this the technology still wasn't quite there yet mm-hmm. um but i'm just imagining like times when i played you know 
five player matches with people and stuff like oftentimes when you're doing when you're playing a four player match you devolve you can it will oftentimes split into you know two one v ones yeah and then you know then it, you know it works out as like you're doing two combats and then like the opponents will swap and stuff every once in a while sometimes there's big old you know brawls that are just everybody mm-hmm. but like it it oftentimes feels split but in like a five player match you know you'll have a a 1v1 and a 1v1 v1 yeah that's less it's it's more difficult to manage that mm-hmm. um right. it becomes more chaotic which you know can be fun but uh-huh. it's less i don't know but it's it's different i well, guess there's, the experience there's, is there's always a case of uh i mean because literally i mean you can hit two people at the same well, time yes, with yes. an attack right that's mm-hmm. generally not how it works mm-hmm. um so there's just a, a fact of at all times you're always in a state of somebody's outnumbered yeah in, in, a, in a sense yeah right yeah, exactly and that's that's just an odd even thing mm-hmm. right yeah so yeah. there's a little bit to that i think i'm trying to stay away from that i mean that's i think that applies here okay but i i think as a i'm trying to stay away from that as being like the reason why it makes sense is because it's uh-huh. divisible by two Oh um, yeah, I'm not. I, I I'm not even arguing against like or mm-hmm. arguing that it because it's divisible by two, it works. It's yeah. just like, but I, I think it is a factor. It is a factor, yes. Yeah. But I think that like also logistically, I think it just works better. I think because like if there's one person left out of brawls, if if there's one person, they can just pick up all the items and junk. I don't know. It just yeah, it doesn't quite work as well. Yeah, yeah. It's just more chaotic. Right, it's just different I for guess. that for that specific game. At for least. that specific game, yep. yeah, for for Smash specific. Yeah. But I do think you're getting at something where I mean, like the the, the game, the game play is a factor in making it behave that way with an odd number of players. Mm-hmm. But overall, I'm thinking of the way that this intersects with like teen psychology. Okay, because you know, in our past conversations about Scrum. I think we've talked about like the ideal team size. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And with a scrum team, your ideal team size is like anywhere from three to nine or something like that. I think mm-hmm. it's actually five to nine. Um, and the reason for that is because you want a big enough team to be able to do the work, but a small enough team that you can actually have like really strong uh, communication channels between individuals. Yeah. Yeah. Which boils down to that number two, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, but with a game, unlike a software development team, you need to form quickly and you need to perform quickly. Right. Yeah. So because you are needing to form quickly and perform quickly and you don't necessarily exactly like, know what the task in front of you is going to be, like you might know that you have to go, you know, like defend the thing or what, of all the different games that we just made an example of. Oh, yeah. Race the stuff. I, I don't know. <laughs> the bullet points on the back of Ellen's game is defend the thing, race the stuff. <laughs> yeah. Race the stuff, defend the thing. Shoot the guys. Win the game. <laughs> Win the game. Shoot the guys. Anyway, right. So we were talking about Scrum having a an ideal team size yeah. of around like five to nine, right? But yeah. that's that's an ongoing team. You're working with those people every day, eight hours a day, potentially. Right. Whereas with a game team, even if you're gaming with your friends, mm-hmm. like you have a much more uh, fast paced challenge that you need to deal with. Yeah. And so to me, it makes sense that the, the ideal team size would be smaller. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not. It, that's a there's another. I think there's a larger variable there. Mm. It's not not just speed or or immediacy. Think about the right number of people in a meeting. Oh, okay, right. Yeah. I think after I think five is like the top before it starts to get well. Then someone's not paying attention or someone's not participating. Yeah, yeah. That's that's. I think that's part of it. Is that when you're focused on one thing, I don't think uh, mm. speed necessarily has much to do with it. But a team size for a project. That you can you can break that down individual tasks and parts and components and they interact intersect with each other. Yep. 
But each one of those, maybe you don't want the whole team working on. Right. That's true. Right. So a game is a, a gameplay session is. So that's kind of why you have some multiplayer games where they have more players, but then they ha- they're very they're, they're devised in such a way where it's four v four or four v one or something like that. Yeah. Interesting. So like the idea that you're saying, basically, you're saying is if you take if you if you uh, uh, visualize the game task as a cake. This isn't actually how cakes work, but it works because you were visualizing a cake. You already, I said cake, you're visualizing it. Um, Yep. So you, you're saying basically like if you cut, if you cut the task up in pieces, uh, in, in more than four pieces, then everyone's like, this isn't enough cake to engage me. In the, but at the same time, it's also, um, someone could just go like, I'll just take two of those slices. Mm. Is that, cause I can handle that. Yeah. yeah. Right. Okay. Yep. And then every, the whole balance is thrown off. Yeah. So if you think okay. about in a meeting, when you when you have seven people in a meeting, yeah. yeah, then two people are can find their way to not paying attention. Yes. Or or not necessarily that they're zoning out, but they could they could find their way to just being the observers in that mm-hmm. meeting, right? And yeah. not being part of the meeting, which actually I will say is fine. Mm-hmm. That's a that doesn't mean a failure of a meeting. Right. But in a game, yeah, you if there's four players, so that's enough division of labor, regardless of what the game is. That yeah. one person can like take it easy for a moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's not so much a division of labor that one person could just hang back and just observe the whole yeah. time. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, three is probably perfect for that. And that, that basically all three people have to be on at all, all times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, ideally. I mean, I'm seeing very abstractly, it's different from game to game, but four, I think is just enough flexibility so that people can kind of ebb and flow their participation and engagement um, and trade tasks and, and, and stuff like that. But then, um, but at the same time, they do have to be present the whole time, mm-hmm. yeah. right? More than that, and then you don't have to be. And you can design a game that's suitable for that, yeah. right? We were talking about MMOs and raids and stuff in the last episode. Yeah. That's a case where you could take 30 people into a raid. 15 of them can just be along for the ride. Mm-hmm. That's fine. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a suitable player count for that experience. It's, yeah. That's kind of okay. Um, but a lot of games don't want that from their design. Right. And so I think that's, that's, I think that's probably why 4 works for that, hmm. you know? And why 3 is kind of like everyone wants to make a three-player game. Like, I, I feel like everyone has that, like, I, like, that's kind of like when you're deciding for the fourth role is kind of the hardest one to come up with. Yes. Because it's like one more than you have any ideas I'm for. I'm absolutely glad you brought that up because that's something we struggled with with Vengeance. Mm. But, th- but three is so much harder to balance. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Which is why I think people go to four. Well, and it's just a weird number. Three just feels like a weird number. <laughs> yeah. Right? It, well, at least with respect to this, like, I'm gonna grab my two friends to play this game. That feels. I mean, it's not that weird when you say it, but it's like it feels weird though. Well, right? I mean, here's the thing. It it all goes back to that that sort of engagement and balance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Here we are, three people on this show. Dang, that's true. Right. <laughs> yeah. When, there are three yeah, of us. When we have a guest host, when there's four of us, yeah. you can usually go back and see that one person usually hung back, or yep. at least hung back for a big part of it, and mm-hmm. more three of the people. Now that works pretty well, yes. mm-hmm. but we can't do that every week. So right. three is the right number for us, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, you know, there there are there are great two people podcasts, but then both both those people have to be incredibly engaged. Yeah. yeah. The three of us have we all have to be on all the time, mm-hmm. but we can share the load a little bit, but it's not casual the way that four can be. Yeah, and that's what and that's what you want from a game is a little less stress. Yeah, a little less, or the option of having less. Yes, but yeah. not, but not, not you cannot, but not the option to opt out of the exactly. experience. Right, right. Yeah, we've had five yeah. people on the show a couple of times, mm-hmm. and that's been difficult yeah. for that reason. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really hard to manage a conversation. Then. Yeah, it is hard to manage a conversation. You've got because you have so many people at this point. You can like we talked about this earlier in different contexts, but you can 
you can start to have individual one-on-one conversations splinter off. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Whereas you can't really do that with four. It's too, yeah, it's too dense. And that's, that's the important key is that, um, that's not why you should always do four for your multiplayer game. It's that if you want to do a number other than that, you need to design for it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, In a way that you may not expect at first. Yes. Right. Right. A lot of what we've been talking about is stuff I had never really even thought about being a factor, but yeah, of course. I mean, these these kinds of things like all the way come down to factors I never would have expected. Like how big is your living room? How comfortable are you seating so many people in your living room? Mm -hmm. You know, like. Yep. And here's the thing. If you think about it, living rooms are the size they are for the same reason. Yeah. Right. Is it that you don't generally have more than four people in a room at a time? Yeah. Well, and that it's probably, I mean, that would even be dependent upon culture. Yeah. Exactly like, right. you know, like that's people have, you know, people in different cultures tend to have different oh, this, bubbles. This goes yeah. deep. Yeah. And so that's why that's, that's my hypothesis is yeah. that, the, is that we think of this four player thing as very, a lot of technological constraints, but all of those are driven by these same factors. Yeah. Like more right. psychological yeah. and social. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly right. I mean, it's 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 like why uh, tube televisions settled on around the size they were, you know, in terms of like the mass market of them. They were they were they weren't 10 inches. They weren't 30 inches, even though you could build them that size. They were 20 inches Mm -hmm. because people could gather around that size. Yeah. And then that would still I mean, TVs are much bigger now. But in the arcade days, like that was a reasonable thing for people to get around and still be mass market. uh, 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 Yeah. uh, Affordable. Did you like design all of this stuff based off of the idea of the atomic family? I mean, it very much could be oh, a lot of that. I mean, and, and the atomic family is a similar, a social unit. Yeah. And so it's not the same exactly, sure. but in terms of like number of human participants. And again, Ellen, you brought that bringing up like different cultures. That's really good element of it because it's all about the culture. Yeah. Right. And yeah. so thinking a lot about sort of like, you know, our Western culture, like yeah. th- that sort of that. Think about your closest friends. Like you have, you have like 10 close friends, but really you have three or four of mm-hmm. them you're super close with. And so, and little groups or subgroups. And it, a lot of times it does, four is kind of the average of all of that. Yeah. Right? Nuclear family. Yeah. That's what it is. I not like atom- that. Right, not atomic. <laughs> I, I mean. I really like atomic family, so we should come up with something new for that. Sounds like a, a TV show. <laughs> Maybe because I'm thinking of Adam's yeah. family. So <laughs> nuclear family is a funny phrase, and it gets mixed up a lot because it's very associated with 1950s and the atomic era. Ah, But yeah. nuclear, because you have you have the father in the middle and you have the, 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 the ions and children. Oh, is that why rotating around that? it? It's a nuclear component. Yeah. Oh, that's a, like nucleus, a nucleus proton. A, okay. Nucleus. Yeah. So it's, <laughs> okay. yeah. it's sort of, it's, it's cultural and it's gendered in a way that uh-huh. has its history, but All it's right. easy to mix up with atomic, not just because the words sound similar, yeah. but because we associate it with like leave it to beaver yeah. in that era. Right. <laughs> Worthless, tiny electron children, I guess. Like, <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. And you never really know where they are. Yep. There it is. <laughs> you, you know where they're going and where they've been. But you don't know Not at the, the same, same time, time. right? Hey, folks. Um, Xmas is coming. <gasps> it is. Crimbo. <laughs> what? <laughs> we call it Crimbo. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's for another time. Yeah. If you've got folks in your life uh, who listen to the show yeah. or who are game devs or game dev curious, uh, we got a great gift for them, which is the Nice Games Club t-shirt. Oh my gosh, yes. Tell us about it, Steve. It's so comfy, y'all. It's got our logo on it. You know you know our logo. It's so cool. Right. And that alone is comfortable. It, yeah. Yeah, it is. Just think how stylish you'll look walking down the street with this dang logo on your shirt. Mm-hmm. Like, 
underneath three layers of, <laughs> of, of wool and, and jackets. <laughs> but you know it's there. Maybe our listeners are in California. <laughs> I don't know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, it makes for a great gift because people are going to look at that and go, wow, this thing is so cool. Yeah. Gonna, yeah. You're going to you're going to knock your family, friends, significant other socks off. <laughs> But also, it is a very comfortable t-shirt. It's it very great. soft and nice. Which is great if you're going to come up on holiday season and you're giving lots of hugs to people. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Then, yeah. you know, they'll, you'll peel off your layers and they'll be like, that's a cool logo. Yeah. Give me my hug. And give them a hug. And like, that's a soft shirt. Right. right. And I mean, you've got some close friends you might haven't seen them in a while. They all just got their booster shot. Yeah. And maybe you think that you're comfortable. You can hug them. Mm-hmm. What better shirt to do it in? Oh, my goodness. It all comes together, y'all. Okay. Well, we're overselling this, but it's a really nice t-shirt and you should buy it. It's got our logo. Yes. Uh, and it supports us. Yes. And you can get it at nicegames.club slash shirt. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. I don't know how to transition into this topic. Martha, take us in. <laughs> um, There's a lot of stuff I don't know. Th- well, that's because it's been hidden from you. Really? Yeah. Someone chose to hide it from me? Th- no, that makes it sound really bad. Maybe that is the case, though. I don't know. Steven, oh. she's trying to help you with this I transition. I know, I'm not. Now I'm sitting here having a conversation. Hidden information is my topic. <laughs> I would have taken you all the way there. But I know, I know. You, you could have. You had to just I, close the door I, I and shove me out of the car. And yeah, you, you pulled that Martha all-purpose ripcord real quick. I did. I was like, no face. Steven, that is for emergencies only. <laughs> all of my topics are emergencies. <laughs> um, fair enough. I mean, if someone's hiding information from me, I do want to know. And I do want to know now. Yeah. <laughs> so why would someone do this, Steve? I, you know, it's that's a good question. And that's what we're here to discover. Um, yes. Yeah, so my topic is in information, obviously. Um, I wanted to talk about this not just from a, uh, a a player perspective, but also from a dev perspective. Like a player might have information that other players don't have. They might want to keep that from them, or they might want them to figure it out. I don't know. A dev might have will have information that is hidden from all players, and maybe the dev wants them to find that out eventually. Maybe they don't. You know, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, there's different ways to implement this concept of hidden information. Um, so from and I. Examples I wanted to bring up. So, like, for from the player perspective, is like the idea of the fog of war. If you've played World of Warcraft, not World of Warcraft, just Warcraft, um, or or that's what it says, just Warcraft, <laughs> right <laughs> on the Warcraft. box. That's it. Um, that's all you get. I mean, certain um, things are hidden on the map in World of Warcraft. Yeah, too. I guess. That's but yeah, true. um, so yeah, Warcraft or or like Civilization 4X games oftentimes have this concept of fog of war, where you can't see what your opponents are doing, and you. In, especially in, in a 4x game like when you spawn on the map you, you can't see what the map looks like yet so you need to explore the map mm-hmm. yeah um 
from the player perspective, it is in your interest to keep that information hidden because like you want to build up your armies or to you know hide the fact that you don't have an army or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, He's on to me. Yeah. <laughs> Another example, um, I, I think a popular card game is called Hanabi. Um, it's like you're like the the metaphor is kind of weird where like, you're like building fireworks, but you're really just trying to like get the right order of cards. Yeah. Correct or something. The story is you have to put on the most epic fireworks show. Yeah. But like as a player, you have your own hand of cards, but your your uh, teammates do not know um, do not know what you have in your hand. You're not allowed to tell them what you have in your hand. Right. right. And then cooperatively, you're building the deck together. Yeah. yeah. So you need to try to communicate that information without fully communicating that information based off of the rules of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, from a dev perspective, I'm also going to bring up Fog of War. Mm-hmm. Um, such as, you know, a 4X game because, like, you know, players have to explore in order to understand how the map looks and things. So the dev, it is in the dev's interest to, like, hide that information so that they do explore. Um, another example might be this board game called Betrayal, in the, Betrayal at House on the Hill. We looked this up. It's such a weird name. And yeah. I feel like whenever I say it, I get it wrong. Um, where, like, you you both, actually, really, the dev and the players don't know who, like, the, the, the monster is going to end up being or what the monster is going to end up being. Um, while they're playing the game, but like the dev has you know prepared a whole set of scenarios, yeah, um, and that makes it exciting and interesting when that reveal happens. Um, yeah, and not knowing yeah. is vital to enjoying that exactly. game like that. Exactly. Yes. Right. 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 So because like, you make gambles, you you go yeah. this way because of your intuition or because mm-hmm. the little information you have, you like that. For, and it was a horror themed game that's important to the experience of enjoying it. Yeah. So like, the, I think there's a lot of like things that hidden information can provide for your game and there's just like a bunch of there's so many different directions and reasons as to why you would do it um and i'm just gonna attempt to disseminate some of those i mean it, us as a group are going to discuss it hopefully because i <laughs> i am not the end all be all um information for this <laughs> <laughs> i don't have it somebody needs to provide me the hidden he's not hiding anything from us not he's right. gonna give it all <laughs> all that i have all um, that yeah so one, one of the goals is to just get the the players to play the game a certain way. So I brought up four X games um, and that like, you know, that idea of exploration. If in the beginning of the game, the map was revealed to you right away and you could see everything, there's no reason to explore because you already know what's on the map. Right. Um, and I think at least in like civilization or humankind or other games like that, they want to encourage players to explore the map because players like that for one. And the devs want that. It's good for pacing purposes. Um, so, like, it can be valuable to hide certain things just so that the players don't, or the, so the players play the game in a certain the way you want them to play it. Yeah. Also, you know, discovering exploration, finding new hidden things you didn't know before is fun. Mm-hmm. Um, discovering all that kind of information is exciting. Um, variety, I guess, just because, like, as with the example of Portrayal on the House of the Hill, um, you know, you get new uh, every time you play the game. Theoretically, there will be a different monster in a different situation you have to deal with. So, like that um, comes into play. It'll be mm-hmm. a different experience each time. Um, I mean, same with like Civilization. You don't all well unless you pick the same map every time because you can do that. Um, you don't always get the same map. So, like exploring, you can find new things. You can find new like uh, natural wonders and junk. Um, different uh, civilizations that spawned. Yeah, um, things like that. And also, um, like, it's about you keep your options open until yes. it's, uh, you know, it's the 
like a superposition. Like it could be this yeah. or that. Yeah. So I need to plan for both of those things being true or gamble that one is going to be true. Right. And then when I observe it and then it's, <laughs> it settles into what it is. Yeah. And I find out what it is, then I can, you know. Yeah, actually. Like, I, oh, it's like, oh, I could have, uh, 10 turns ago, I mm. could have been preparing for this. Yeah. But it would have been a mistake, too, because it might not have been this. Yeah. And so there's a, there's a given pu- uh, push and pull, a risk reward right. part of it. Well, and that's a good point, because like, that's a lot of reasons why, like, people playing, like, 4X games recommend you, you know, build some army, even if you don't necessarily need it in this moment, because yep. you might need it. <laughs> Maybe barbarians or... Uh, yeah. So another opposing civilization knocking at your door sometime soon, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's valuable to have that kind of stuff. So like it really colors how players play the game. Like if you know, and you can set this in like civilization and other games too. If you know that there aren't going to be any barbarians in your game, then there's not really a reason to have an army unless your opponents decide to attack you. Um, and I don't know if you're playing a multiplayer game, maybe <laughs> <laughs> discuss that up front. Yeah. Um, but like, if you know that, then there's no reason to do that. But if you don't know that, then it, it, it'll change how you approach the game. Mm-hmm. Like not having this information can be valuable. I know that like a lot of players like having, think, you know, like having all this information so that they can optimize it. But I think that like it, it can, it'll, it'll, the players oftentimes will optimize their way out of the fun of the game. Right. Mm-hmm. They're essentially just assembling Ikea furniture at that point. Yeah. Which is fun. But... Mm. <laughs> Sometimes depends on the person, right? right I hate right. it, but that's not it's not what the game was designed to do, yeah, exactly, right, yeah, yeah, so I think that it's valuable, and frankly, like from a player perspective too, um having that hidden information can be valuable too i like the, it doesn't necessarily have to be literally information, well, I mean, I guess it literally is information you're hiding from the player, but I'm thinking about it in terms of like fighting games too, like uh if you like you as a player know what your opponent's capable of, but you don't know what their plans are until <laughs> you like start to suss that out yeah. as they start, you know, doing actions and things. Mm-hmm. Like I guess you can even know their ultimate goal. I mean, obviously their ultimate goal is to, you know, deplete your health. To beat you. Right. Um, but like the way that they're going about it, you can you can start to figure that out as you like, you know, get that information from you. So it could be like a back and forth spy sort of mutual deduction mutual deduction sort of thing which is really fun and fascinating Mm -hmm. yeah knowing too much too early burdens you with the need to act on that information yeah and so that i don't know why they thought of this but um their hidden information is not just games designed specifically for that but there's lots of little things that that you hide from players for their for their own (laughs) convenience oh yeah yeah Yeah. the one i'm thinking of is in in glom Mm -hmm. when everyone knows what the three things you get the phrase the rule and the goal yeah if there's a tie in Glom, you pull out a new goal card and then you judge based on that goal instead of the goal that you drew. Yeah. If players knew what the net what the tie goal was, mm-hmm. then they would be thinking about that and designing their their phrase right. for for that and then a backup for that. That is just too much to burden the player with. Exactly. And so so that is I think I believe that's the only piece of information properly hidden from players. Yeah. But it's designed purely as a, a tie resolution mechanic. It's meant to be a little weird and different. Mm. But if we wanted to make it fair, then it would actually just make the game less fun. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right? It'd be so too there, much to think about at the same time. Yeah, it's so already like, hard enough. So, <laughs> so, so yeah. you know, you, you can have a, like, you know, I think like a, like chess is a perfect information game. Right. Every, both players know everything that, that yeah. is knowable, mm-hmm. except for what's in the player's head, right? Um, and so if you have that as an ideology, this game is going to be this way. You still have, to, or, or this game is going to like hide all information from players. It's going to be a total, you know, big mystery all the way through. Yeah. Uh, think about, to the tiniest little pieces of information, 
how what benefit that is to share or keep from the player and how that interacts with your main gameplay loops all of its you know all the right. the, the other mechanics in it um cuz it's not as it's not as simple as you might think it even if your game is pretty simple yeah like glom is you know i'm glad you brought that up though cuz like yeah i think a lot of information is hidden from player just to, for their own benefit and not just to like make them play differently but also just because like it's not relevant information that they needed exactly right so like i i can think of like I'm thinking of in Skyrim, and I'm hoping this is the base Skyrim, not just because I modded it. Um, <laughs> I know that like they won't show you the your your stamina bar when it's full because like you don't need to see your stamina bar when it's full. You just need to see when your you know your stamina bar when something has changed about it. Yeah. Um, well, see that's information though. That isn't. What do you mean by that? Like not showing the stamina bar is giving me information. It's telling you. That oh it's well, full. yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's a good yeah. point. That's right, but it's not. Yeah, that's a good point. Right. That's fair. So this comes to what I was when you guys were when you were putting notes to this. Yeah. I asked you. You did. What is information? Yeah, what, what is the definition here yeah. of information? And dang it, I don't have an answer it's for It's sometimes that, hard to know, right? Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, Rel- I wanna I wanna ask that question. Relevant data about the game state. Yeah. About the system. Mm-hmm. Yes. Relevant though, I think is the important. Relevant yeah. relevant yeah, relevant information. And it's the it's the communication that is received by the player, not always what's on the screen yeah. or what is you know, delivered mechanically. Yeah, it's what is what is told, and yeah. that is through many different ways, more than you probably can even think of when you're building your game. Yeah, it's not necessarily. Yeah, like yeah, that's. It's like the notes you didn't play. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> you heard it here. Game dev is jazz. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Um, I love that because I love jazz. Um, yeah. Okay. So I, I I'm thinking of. Another thing that, you know, we, we, me and Mark have played recently and then Ellen will play eventually. Um, Metroid Dread. Wow. <laughs> 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 just every episode is just an update on I know, you not playing this I'm yet. just going to try to beat the whole thing by the time we ne- record next. I'll be like, <laughs> and I won't even tell you guys. I'll just start be like, uh-huh. so how about that? How about that end part? Right. This stuff? <laughs> See, the important thing about this in relation to this topic is you did just tell us. What? That you were going to do this. Yeah, you did. <laughs> Yeah, but you know I say things and then don't do them. That's, that, that's true. That's also information we know. <laughs> and both of those things are relevant. You can decide which one's relevant at this moment. Yeah, yes. yeah that's oh. a really good point. We actually, <laughs> Stephen, you and I have no idea whether Ellen is going to finish Metroid Dread, even though she has told us that she will and won't. Yeah. <laughs> Electrons. Uh, yep. So, okay. So the Emmys in that game, there's a... Uh, the, the machines that like chase you in certain sections of the map. What? See, Ellen, in this game. Sorry. That's funny. Um, sometimes that, you know, it, it's there that those sections of the map are kind of like weird stealth things that I personally don't yeah. particularly care for, but that's not the point. Um, when they, when, when they catch you, cause they're probably gonna catch you. Um, there's a there's like a brief moment where you get like a quick time event where you can get the opportunity to swat the enemies like attack off of you and then you get like a few moments of reprieve to run away before they like start chasing you again. Yeah. Um but it's extremely difficult to hit those. And to hit that point. Um and it's impossible to get good at it. It's impossible to get good at it because, because it's randomized. It's randomized. The timing on when you press the button is different each yeah. time. It's explicitly meant for you to not ever get better at. It. Yes. Um, you're just supposed to, yeah, you get lucky sometimes. Right. So that information is hidden from you and obscured from you because it gives you the oppor- it gives you the opportunity, however slight it is, to like, you know, survive that encounter despite the fact that it otherwise will kill you. Um which, you know, gives players like a brief moment of hope 
you know, chance possibility. It it colors their experience of that encounter. So. Yeah, the, the player is prevented from turning their attention away. Yeah, because of that tiny slice of hope that they know they're not going to get, mm. but they have they they are in they are compelled to engage with it anyway. Yeah, which keeps them on edge. Keeps the, yeah, and that's yeah. that's part of the whole point yeah. of that game. Whereas if it was just like a mini game with like a, a you know like a needle going back and forth on a bar, yeah, like you could get really good at it mm-hmm. if you were like really good at frame perfect button presses, right? Um, but that's not what that's for. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so yeah, like that, those kinds of things can change the, the game, and I, I think that like, yeah, understanding what information, frankly, is, and um, what like how you want to display that information, how the how you want players to see that information or not see that information can be really relevant to how you're developing a game. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm thinking about, like, sometimes with respect to, like, Fingence and stuff, I know that, like, we, you know, we have options and stuff. We try to give as much information to players as possible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, like, that also made it so that, like, they would just sit on the, the shop menu whenever they, they whenever they're picking augments and stuff for forever. And that still, and it would make that difficult to make decisions based mm-hmm. off of that stuff. So sometimes I would just, like, be kind of obscure with it or pick big numbers so people will be like oh this is a big number about of a value i want yeah i will grab that right the, hmm. if you give if you have a complicated system and you give players all the tools they need to navigate it yeah they will navigate it yeah. yep and but, n- yep. but in the case of fingens you didn't want them to be like be, they didn't you don't want them to be the perfect shoppers well and they don't need to like a lot of that information that's the specific the specificity of certain augments, they don't need that information because like, it's not super relevant. It's not the important part of the augment. Right. Hmm. Um, so like, I would just make sure that they got the important stuff yeah. and not specifically say, uh, after, well, no, sometimes we would be like after 3.5 seconds, this will come back. Um, but like <laughs> other times we'd be like, it's just a big thing. Yeah. Makes a big boom. Makes right. a big boom. And so the, in Metro Nexus, mm-hmm. which is a four player, a uh, multiplayer battle game. Yeah. Um, four. Exactly. <laughs> um, there are power-ups that you pick up along the way, and it it's very simple, and therefore I am able to give players all the information. Yeah. yeah. Like, that, that, I designed that mode to be a way where there was nothing kept from any players. Yeah. You knew what, what tool the other players had. You knew how many points they had. You could see their position on the screen. It's a perfect information game. I can only do that. Because that information is quick and digestible and you can act on it at all times. Right. Yeah. Whereas a game like Fingence with a lot of that complexity system that sort of loadouts and the, and the, and, uh, the temporal element and that you're, you're building towards something else. You're p- pouring your stats into this. Right. Later, you'll continue doing that or you'll switch tasks. Right, right. There's, it's too much to process at one mm-hmm. time yes. in, a, in a way that would be comfortable for four people sitting on a couch to right. do at different rates. Right. Exactly, yes. And so you put in ways to make that go a little faster, mm-hmm. either by by uh, subtly pushing players towards choices by making them uh, seem easier to choose yeah. or by taking choices away from them yeah. to make them get through the, the shop faster mm-hmm. uh, and adding a little bit of randomization and a little bit of that sort of, that, that also adds to replayability right. and mm-hmm. interacts with the other systems. Yeah. But there are different techniques, but ultimately in service of the same goal, which is to give players the information they need at the time they need it. Yes. Yeah. That's why my name, the names for the augments that I made were very boring. They were just like, name of gadget effect. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah. So people would be like, oh, it affects this gadget. This is the effect of the gadget yeah. right. or the thing. Cool. Because the yeah. other thing that the shop does in Fingence is it 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 expands the lore of the game. Yeah. And so you need to know when to to press down on the gas on that component. Yeah. On the mechanical. Admittedly, component. I probably could have been more fun with my names. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, Can I uh, jump in with a, an observation? Yes. So one of the things that 
we talked about when we were preparing for this episode was um, kind of this dual taxonomy that you've described. Like, are you hiding information um, from the player perspective, like because of the gameplay, or are you hiding information from, from the dev perspective? And as I started thinking about the last few minutes of our conversation, I'm yeah. thinking, oh, well, there are the reason there are two things because there are two reasons why you hide information, right? Mm-hmm. One information is because it's part of the game design. It's part of the gameplay. Right. And then the other reason is because you're managing the attention yeah. of the player. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Absolutely. And those can overlap. You can have, you probably do usually have both. Mm-hmm. Um, well, yeah, yeah. You, the, the, the attention of the player is part of the game design. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so that makes sense. And we actually did that in Widget Satchel. So mischief score is oh, something yeah. that mm-hmm. we don't, we don't surface to players as part of the HUD mm-hmm. in the game as you play. You can't do something and know how many points it earns you. Yeah. It's very difficult because it's not visually, that information is not given to you. Yeah. You can pause the game at any time and see your current mischief score. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, but we do not give the players the information they need to be able to connect how much mischief score their actions are worth, mm-hmm. only how much they're racking up as they go. Yeah. And that is explicitly by design. So that they can do a little figuring out. They can see, oh, my score goes up quickly after I've done a bunch of this. Mm-hmm. But also to prevent them from focusing too heavily on it. Yeah. yeah. Right? So it kind of has a dual purpose there. Yeah. yeah. It's just really supposed to reward you for hitting stuff. Yeah. And right. for enjoying the process and of hitting that, things. And that's the information we do give you. Is yeah. you do mischief, get mischief points. Yeah. Yep. That, that information is given to you. But then it's, 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 we make it impossible to game that system. Yeah. And so all you can do is engage with it. Yeah, yeah. which mean, is it literally does nothing for you other than you get more points. I mean, you f- <laughs> so. yes, but you know, some people just want points. Well, I know that's what I'm saying. It, yeah, that's yeah. great, though. Right, you feel right. seen. It's like I like hitting junk in this game. Yeah. Yes, we know. <laughs> yeah. Continue. <laughs> right. Carry on. But you can't. You, we you can't, We don't let you optimize it, and right. so so players are never motivated to because it's an impossible task. At least not optimizing it based on the numbers yes, involved. Exactly right. We're yeah. going to optimize it based on the number of explosions. Right. You can, and that again, that because that's what we want people to enjoy, right. not the points, but the actual mischief. Yes. Right. Yep. Yeah. But I do think that having the points associated with it is a way of motivating that. It assigns value to mischief. Exactly. But it doesn't assign a like an actual price tag. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It creates value, but it doesn't like create a formal economy around it. Exactly. That's exactly yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. Dang. Yeah. That's. I love game design. <laughs> this is one of those where like we're winding down the topic, and you, and you're we're, we're we're like we could do so much more. I know. But the, but then we'd have to start over with like chapter two of we this. We totally thing, right? would. We'll have to come back. Hidden information to Electric Boogaloo or yeah. something. I don't know. Yeah. Well, well that oh, was- what's great about a topic like this is just like, is you come up with a, we talk about any particular game and we yeah. talk about ones we've designed, but also like Metroid Dread. Right. And you can talk about any one game and the information it gives you and doesn't. Yeah. For a long, long time. Yeah. Really so many can. examples. Yeah. I encourage listeners to like, think of a game you're working on, you've worked on, or a game you've played and think about it in those terms and start to like, you know, drill down a little further than you would at, than when you play. That's our show. Check out our website, nicegames.club, for show notes and links to resources on today's topics. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode and on our programming in general. Go to nicegames.club slash feedback and tell us what you think. You can also get in touch with us on Twitter at NiceGamesClub, where Dale tweets about game dev resources and speeding up compile times. Gotta speed up those times. Or you can email us through contact at nicegames.club. Want to support the show? There are so many ways. Give us a review on your favorite podcast app. Mine is Pocket Cast. That's my favorite podcast app. 
You can tell your friends about your favorite episodes. You can join us on Discord by visiting nicegames.club slash Discord. We have an increasing amount of fan art showing up there, which is yeah. so cool. Oh my goodness. Oh, the, the, the Sledgehammer Pride art. Oh my oh, God. Yeah. Uh, oh my God, you guys. I love it. We love you guys. <laughs> it's so amazing. Oh, and then there was the hamster in the t-shirt. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you're describing this as like a big community, but it's really one of our most dedicated, really like knocking it out. With yeah. You. Thank you. I'm going to cheer up. Okay. Also, we're on Patreon. And as a patron of the show, you'll enjoy bonus content, extra jokes, and more. You can sign up at patreon.com slash club. So, until we start again, remember to play nice and make nice. Well, I mean, I want to, what time are we at? How long are we past? Mark that really quick. How, what, what time are we at? We're at about an hour. Okay. I won't bring up the game that I'm, I'm playing, which is um, Monument Valley 2. Ah. But we could do that later. 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 We don't have to do it now. Okay. Yeah. Or we could do it now. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't read your facial expression. You were just laughing. <laughs> well, I'm giving you the choice, I guess. <laughs> No, I don't. I, don't, I, I want to think about it more. But now I'm going to play it tonight, and I'm going to think about it in terms of hidden information instead of Metroid Dread. Yeah, you've got <laughs> you've got homework. Yeah, you said it for yourself, or you didn't. I don't, I'm unclear. It's hard. To I know. won't be able to go to bed tonight on time if I try to play Metroid Dread tonight. Okay. Well, that's going to be rough tomorrow. But you know, <laughs> sacrifices must be made. Yeah. I will start it soon. I don't want to start it tonight. That's fair. As I'm, I'm too scared. <laughs> <laughs> As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.